0: Hello and welcome to the OneTrust Talk Tech podcast. This is episode number 33 recorded on February 26, 2024. My name is Roger Dean and I work on the product team here at OneTrust and I'm the host of this podcast. Today's episode will be another roadmap episode with one of our product managers, Catherine Soul, who is in the privacy management team working specifically on DSAR automation. As always, just a quick reminder that this podcast reflects OneTrust's current expectations for product capabilities. Be advised that dates and features may be subject to change and should not be relied upon when making purchasing decisions okay now i'd like to welcome catherine soul who is a senior product manager in our DSR automation data subject access rights automation team uh, welcome to the podcast catherine great hey roger thanks for having me pleasure to have you on here uh, i know you've been around at OneTrust for quite a while so uh, you've got a lot a lot of knowledge and a lot of th- great things you're working on um So what is happening in DSAR automation? Maybe some big themes that you guys are working on this quarter and next quarter, and then we can dive into some details.
1: Sure. Yeah. So the main themes that we're working on in this quarter and next quarter are improved automation for our product in general, localization updates, as well as regulatory updates.
0: Okay. Okay, cool. Well, let's look at, I guess, starting with automation, kind of what's going on with your automation in DSARs.
1: Yeah, so a lot of really interesting items that we're working on in automation. Um, First one comes to mind is automation rules for workflows. So these will be on the stage level and will enable customers to have conditional logic to either change the workflow stage to a different stage in that existing workflow change the workflow itself to a different workflow if a different one applies in the situation, or to activate or enable a subtask um, on that specific stage, which enables you to have more conditional subtasks. So subtasks will not always have to exist all or nothing. You can pick and choose which ones you want for a certain stage. And these would be based on um, attributes of the request. So whether that be the request type, the subject type, country, state, or any of your custom selection fields, those will all be included as options to trigger these actions.
0: That sounds like that's a huge addition to this whole process, isn't it? Because wouldn't it be really tough, like currently for customers who maybe want to make a different decision based on what state the user's in, they, they would have to create totally separate workflows for that?
1: Exactly, exactly. This will be really powerful for customers to not only have all these conditional options, but really reduce the number of workflows that they have and that they have to manage so they can do a lot more in a singular workflow.
0: That sounds awesome. And I assume customers have been probably begging for this for quite a while.
1: Yeah, one of one of our top voted ideas is definitely along the conditional subtask, if then subtask route. We have hundreds of votes on these. So yeah, I'm excited to get this out the door. I don't doubt
0: it. I don't doubt it. Is it and is this gonna be coming out as public preview or general availability, do you think, in this quarter?
1: We're hoping for public preview at mm-hmm. the end of this quarter. It is quite complex, as you can imagine. I can imagine, yes. Um so definitely wanting to iron out all the kinks before we have this
0: be general generally available. Oh, that sounds awesome. So just as a reminder, if you don't know what public preview means or GA means, uh, there was a previous podcast on that, but basically public preview means that uh, if you, the, the, the feature will be in the product but if it won't be turned on by default. So if you're interested in trying it out, you just need to contact your one trust representative or customer success manager and just have them turn it on for you and your tenant. And then you'll be able to see it. Um, GA means it's on by default for everyone. So uh, I've said this every single podcast for the last two or three times. Hopefully everyone knows what that means. But if you haven't, that's what that means. Um, what are some of the other cool features that are that you're working on?
1: So as far as automation is concerned, we're also looking into introducing request archival as a new retention action. Um, So as many of you, like we already know today, we have two existing retention actions, one of them being to delete requests on a schedule or to de-identify or effectively redact a request on a certain schedule after that request has been closed. Mm -hmm. We'll now be introducing an additional action there, which is archiving a request. So obviously, deletion and de-identification are much more... uh, longer lasting actions that you can't reverse. Um, But archival is a little bit more temporary and in that you can still access the request and all of the information on the request. Um, And it can still be used for reporting purposes. So what this really will help customers with is for performance um, and also management of requests. So this will help to clear your request queue of all these requests which are years and years old that you don't need to be looking in your day-to-day, that for filtering purposes and even for API calls, kind of just bog down the system Mm -hmm. and make things a little bit slower. So we'll now have, after you archive a request, it will uh, be sorted into a separate archive request list page. So they're all still accessible. If you need the information, you can get it. Um, and you can download a PDF of that request that will include everything that's happened on the request. So whether that be um, the details, the comments, the subtasks, the result summary, that will all still be there for access.
0: You just won't and the, really kind of show up in the, in the main list of active ones, I guess. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So we'll keep the main list as more actionable requests that you need to look at in your day-to-day And then you can have an archive queue so that you can keep those in your system. And like I mentioned, you can also, we'll still have these in the reporting module. So Mm -hmm. for all of your dashboards, these will still be included for your metrics, but they won't bog down the system and and kind of interrupt uh, a user who is attempting to actually action on requests day to day. Um, and not have to see Makes these, these thousands so, of requests, thousands of subtasks.
0: So um, uh, you know so much more about DSARs than I do. What would be a situation where you would want to archive, you would have it still in your active list and you want to archive it versus you know, the, the other two options? Is it just required by right. the regulations that they stay around and be active for a certain period of time, but you've already responded to the DSAR request? What would be the situation?
1: Right, so this can be for multiple instances. What we're seeing as the general workflow is, you will archive a request after a certain period of time, and then from there, you will then delete it after a certain period of time per regulatory guidance. Okay. So again, the archive is is just to clear up your request queue and make that requests that actually need to be actioned on, um, but you still want to keep these for reporting purposes Got it. and. If you perhaps get audited or anything like that, maybe a data subject reaches out in a couple months and wants proof of the request, you'll still have access to it. You can have a PDF download that can prove everything that happened on the request, and you'll still have that access without it being in your system system. to
0: impact your performance. Got it. So these would be ones that you've gotten this request from the data subject, and you've you've responded, and everything's cool. They've gotten their response. They're fine, but you need to hang on to it for a certain period of time based on regulations, but you don't want it showing up in your everyday list of things I need to do just because it just adds a bunch of noise to it.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay. All right, cool. And I guess just quickly, for people who aren't in privacy and DSARs and whatever, and it took me a while to figure this out, but um, just quickly go through and explain what a DSAR request is all about.
1: Sure. Yeah. So... A DSAR request or a privacy rights request um, are requests that a data subject or consumer will submit, um, which is of course supported under CCPA, GDPR, and dozens of more regulations now. Yeah. Where effectively uh, data subjects has have rights to their data. Um, and you have to comply with these laws to fulfill the requests for the data subject's rights. So the, the general ones that, that you'll see are requests to access, requests to delete, requests to opt out, and some other popular ones would be like rectify information um, and do not sell are also right. um, common ones as well. But yeah, effectively uh, needing to discuss with um, internally and externally with the data subject to fulfill these requests, often they'll, uh, Involve a lot of third-party systems where you may host um, data subject data elsewhere. So OneTrust really serves as as a place where you can holistically communicate with the data subject, get all the information you need, and share it back out.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. I know that seems like a strange question, but you know we do have a lot of customers that aren't buying our privacy module. Maybe they just don't know what that's all about, or maybe I'm just the only one in the world that doesn't know what a re- Didn't know what a DSAR <laughs> request was. So. Um, Cool, so what else What else is coming from, from your team?
1: Great, yeah, so that's those are the main items for um, improved automation. Those are coming in Q1. Um, moving on to the next thing we have, which would be localization. We have a couple improvements that we're looking at here, namely which are having web forms, workflows, and response templates get their translations from what we call internally globalization manager or mm-hmm. GM which is an internal tool where all lo- where our localization team adds translations for all entered keys for dozens and dozens of languages. So what this will mean for you is that all of your newly created Web Forms Workflows Response Templates will have out-of-the-box translations for all of the seeded fields for all of the seeded translations. Um, so Q1, we're looking to, to prioritize Work, uh, web forms, because these are customer-facing, these are consumer-facing. Right. They're what your data subjects are going to see. So, the translations are really the most important there. Workflows and response templates, you do see on your, your main application internally. So, these ones we will be looking to add uh, translations for in Q2, but definitely prioritizing web forms. Um, but this will really help customers not only get set up quicker uh, for any localization requirements, but also uh, we're looking to be able to have uh, these translations now be in reporting as well, which is one of the more major gap that we've had in our product where our DSAR translations are not in the reporting module, which means your column reports and your dashboards either are not fully translated Translated and have a few translations or not translated at all. They're all <laughs> which in English. Which is a huge yeah. gap today. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah. It's mainly only English. So we'll be looking to have reporting also support these new translations. Um, so you'll have those for your column reports and dashboards.
0: Which oh, is, that's cool. Um,
1: Going to be really valuable for our customers.
0: And, and I know, honestly, I've been talking to you for a couple of years about this because of escalations from customers who have been wanting this yep. translation to occur. <laughs> so that's ex- really exciting to hear that that's coming out and trying to get all of the language. And this is cool. Part is this is not. Most of these are not machine translated. These are actually translated by persons. We have, you know, staff people from multiple different languages on staff that are doing these translations. So they should be really, really good and really accurate. Exciting to hear about that. Anything, uh, you mentioned three areas, I think, that yes. you are working on. What's the What's the, yeah.
1: the last one is regulatory updates. So we're looking to add updated templates for CCPA and general US. So CCPA, mainly per updated regulations with CPRA addendums, um, having our web forms and workflows be updated with the most accurate information for what the laws are now versus when we originally seeded them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that will be really great for customers to be able to use as well as our general US template, which we introduced um, a few quarters back, which uh, obviously covers all general US laws. that exist at this time. So that's mainly for, of course, Connecticut, Utah, Colorado, all of those ones, mm-hmm. but we'll be updating it for ones that are coming out this year. So the ones that we'll be targeting, I, I believe in this quarter are Texas and Oregon. Um, but of course, we will continue to update this over the year as we have a lot more general US uh, regulations coming out. So we we'll keep that up to date.
0: How, I mean, how hard is that just to try and keep up with All of the changes and all the regulations that are coming into play around privacy, it seems like. I know we have a staff of people that do that, but that's got to be just a a ton of work.
1: Yeah, there's a a lot of management for these web forms and workflows, especially in the U.S. with, I mean, lots and lots of states coming out this year. uh, Montana, Iowa, Delaware, Tennessee, so on and so forth. You have a lot coming out, so getting these updates. Um, it does take time. We, we discuss with our uh, COE team, the Center of Excellence, mm-hmm. on, on how we can not only make these updates, but make them in a way that makes sense, because we don't want to introduce you know, more and more and more and more workflows because that can also start to bog you down. So we're trying to see where these regulations really overlap and we can start to cut down um, on which templates we're adding, which is why we've started this initiative of kind of having more regional uh, web form templates like the general US one. So now instead of having one web form per state, we'll have one web form, which will be for all of the states, and we'll try to keep that updated. Right. Similarly, in, in Q2, um, we will be looking to add an APAC regional template, which will cover China, Thailand, Vietnam, and India. Um, so combining ones that we already have today into a general one, and then as additional APAC uh, templates or regulations may come out, we'll update that regional template, and we'll be looking to kind of take that pattern forward um, for all new like regions that that come out that are um, kind of we can group together so that we have less individual templates less bogging down your system that makes
0: sense that makes sense I guess the risk there is that there will be stuff on there that's not needed for a particular state but that's much better than having to create and having to support all those different ones especially for a company that's has customers in all the states you you know they would have to manage one customer in Texas versus one in California with different requirements for the regulations where it's just having one general one, it should cover everything, right?
1: Right, exactly. But what's also powerful about the DSAR tool is that we do have visibility rules. So we may have request types dozens of request types, and only select numbers of these apply to each state. Mm. But we create visibility rules, which will be on these seeded templates to dynamically show only the ones that apply to the state that has been selected by the data subject.
0: Makes sense, cool. So a smart template that that is, determines basically who, where the, where the data subject lives or where they're requesting from, you can detect what it is and then just apply the current field, so the right fields.
1: Right, the right fields based on the state. Nice,
0: mm-hmm. nice, awesome. Anything else that you're working on? That's a lot.
1: <laughs> those, are, those are the main ones that we're looking into at this time, um, but excited for all of these updates.
0: That sounds great. Catherine, listen, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Really appreciate it and uh, on all your insight and look forward to talking to you again, maybe next quarter. All right. Thanks, Roger. Thanks. Okay, and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Catherine for joining us today and letting us know what's going on with d automation. For those of you who may have a sharp ear, you'll notice that probably my sound is not as good as it normally is. That's because I'm traveling this week, but still managed to get in the podcast. I apologize if there's any audio issues that, uh, that may, may come up, but uh, doing the best we can. Next week, I'll be back in the office and we'll be back to my normal equipment and getting the, re- the recording done. Uh, if you have any feedback, any questions, any comments, any requests, please email us at podcast at one trust.com. Um, like I said, next week I'll be back and I'll try and have another product manager on. We will be getting ready for the dot uh, zero release, which is coming up in the 1st of March, so I may or may not cover that or wait another week to go over the features that have been released in there. But again, I really appreciate everyone listening, and we will talk to you next week.